0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Travis Stork Show with me, your host, Dr. Travis Stork. And I think you're going to really enjoy this week's podcast with guest Colton Underwood. Colton Underwood was the uh, Bachelor season 23, and he found love with Cassie Randolph, whom he's still with. But a great guest today. A, we have a lot in common. We both grew up in the Midwest. He in Washington, Illinois, in between Chicago and St. Louis, Uh, I spent a lot of my youth just outside of St. Louis, Missouri, and there's something about growing up in the Midwest and talking to Colton today feels like I'm talking to someone I've known since childhood just because of those similarities of growing up, but Colton's lived an interesting life as an NFL uh, tight end, then being on The Bachelor, but as of late, and why he's such a great guest today is he's going into details about what his experience was like with COVID-19. And here he is, young, healthy, athletic, no medical problems. And it really took him for a ride. And he explains during today's podcast how bad his symptoms were and how he was having trouble walking 15 feet to the bathroom because he was so short of breath and Waking up with air hunger and on top of it, his heart rate double its normal, which is is really a scary thing, particularly if you aren't someone who's in tip top shape like Colton is. So he shares that experience, but also how he's now utilizing the impact that he can have and and trying to donate his um, antibodies in the name of science and helping others who may be suffering. So a lot we dig into today beyond the current pandemic, but also it's really refreshing to get his take as someone who went through this and did not have a pleasant experience. He was not one of those where we know people are sometimes having mild symptoms or some people very little symptoms, if any, but um, he definitely highlights why we all need to pay attention and all of us are. At potential risk, but enjoy this interview. I think you'll enjoy getting to know him a little bit better, uh, just like I did. Look, you, you can tell me more about your personal experience, but the uh, the fact of the matter is, I still have friends who work in ERs here, and there are people they can't get tested still. So I'm I'm yeah. trying to figure out how. <laughs> How we're going to open everything back up without more texting?
1: And I don't get into I don't get into politics too much, but here's here's what I will say: is like the people I understand, and I show grace to the people who are protesting to get back to work, and they need to provide for their family, and they need money. Um, but to hold a sign saying this is fake is not the right way to go about it, or saying it's a conspiracy theory. Because having lived through it, I'm telling you, like if anybody had pre existing conditions that went through that, they weren't surviving. I mean, that's that's like the the fact of the matter. So, it's definitely something that needs to be taken serious, but at the same time we need to problem solve and try to figure out how we can do a better job of still having income, you know.
0: Is it weird that I'm almost glad that you had it a little bit rough because one of the things that has been a challenge for me is you know, I and I have a lot of friends who feel this way. So, I'll over and over again, hey Travis, you know, it just seems like it's not that big of a deal. And for a lot of people it isn't, but yeah. Yeah, you're you're young, you're healthy, you're a former pro athlete. And if it can take you down pretty hard, like you said, if you I mean if you didn't have robust lungs and everything
1: else and you eat healthy, yeah, you're saying you legitimately think it could have could have uh-huh. killed you. A hundred percent. And I even go as far as saying, like, I'm blessed and fortunate to have my symptoms be manageable from home. But the fact that I couldn't walk fifteen feet to the toilet without having to sit down and catch my breath, I think is still Um, eye-opening for a lot of people. I've never had a a respiratory illness before in my life. Um, And to have that and to feel like I couldn't access my lungs was one of the scariest moments as well as, because I had it so early. I had it while people were still partying on the beaches saying, if I get it, I get it. I'm like, guys, I'm 28 and I'm laying in bed right now, sleeping 16 hours a day trying to recover from this. You you can get it. Um, I think that was the scariest part. It's just there was so much unknown.
0: Do you have any underlying health conditions at all? Do you have asthma? Do you have? No. So have- you, you, you're, you literally went into this perfectly healthy. So you yeah. were feeling great in early March.
1: Yeah. I even thought I only had the flu. I was like, statistically speaking, there's no way I have this thing. I think there was like 40 cases in California at the time. And I was like, uh, I'm good. I'm good. And then all of a sudden it took a turn. And um, I had a call. Well, Cass helped me out. I called three different doctors to even see to get, get a test. And finally, I got one in Orange County. Um, so I was even lucky to get tested, uh, with it.
0: Well, that's, what's crazy to me is the amount of work, especially back when you got diagnosed, the amount of work that it took to get a test. And I've been preaching from the rooftops that, you know, I, as a doc, it just kills me that it was so hard for people to get tested. But what I'm curious, because you got tested early, yeah. earlier than most, and you go home And you're not doing great. Cause I've, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I have asthma. So I know what it feels like to not be able to catch your breath, but I've never been unable to walk to the bathroom. Yeah. Was it at what point when this is going on and you're at home, are you thinking, holy shit, this could get real scary if it hasn't
1: already? Um, I obviously think I had to wait two days to get my results. And I went back and I was still mildly symptomatic, but nothing crazy yet. But the night that I woke up having to, I was gasping for air at 4 a.m. I bought oxygen, those little boost things off of Amazon. So I could shove it in my mouth and force oxygen into me. Like that's literally what I did at 4 a.m. I rolled over and I could barely breathe. So I ordered oxygen off Amazon. Um, That was the moment where I was like, this is not good. Uh, and I begged my doctor to prescribe those medicines to me and an inhaler, um, which I did all three. And I, I know there's controversy over it, but for me, I, you're fighting for your health. You're fighting for, uh, your survival. So I was very lucky and fortunate once again, that he prescribed those to me because I think they helped me.
0: Did you have a pulse oximeter that you I did. used at home? Cause I just... Literally uh, a few days ago, I did a little, what I call a a coronavirus update. And I was telling people how, because I have asthma and because I'm I'm using all my inhalers now, but I also have a pulse ox because I want to know where my saturations are. So when you're like, I'm curious, A, how long it took to get that. But then when you're using that and you're short of breath, I mean, what's it like for you who you're obviously not a doctor, but at the same time, you know your body well enough to know
1: that things aren't right. Um well obviously I didn't understand the full grasp of what the pulse oximeter did um but come to find out my heart rate was double for the for while I was battling it for 5 days straight my heart was working overtime. Didn't understand that um and So were you in the
0: hundreds? Was your heart rate in the hundreds?
1: No, I was I was 89-90. So I normally I'm But you're normally I, what? Like 45-50? I'm normally okay. like 44. So like I I pride myself on staying in shape and having like Healthy, otherwise. Um, but to hear that and put that in perspective for me, and just realizing my body was literally, my heart was beating twice as fast as it normally does, just to provide comfort to to and get the right supply to where it needed to go, was eye opening.
0: And I want people listening to think about that because if you're resting in her rates forty five, it means you're an elite athlete. So that's what we obviously we love we love elite athletes when they develop any condition because they can persevere. But for the average person out there walking around with a resting heart rate of 75 or 80 you can, your heart cannot sustain beating at 150 to 160 to try to oxygenate your body over yeah. 5 plus days so when that was going on what was like what was going on with the pulse oximeter in terms of your oxygen saturations and then also did you did you ultimately go on supplemental oxygen or were you able to avoid that
1: i avoided it my oxygen my oxygen levels are fine um I think just the worst symptom for me was night sweats. I I would wake up and have to change the sheets and I'd have Cassie's family have to to wash the sheets um, every other night just because they were just soaked. Um, I was freezing, so I'd always go to bed in a sweatshirt. And I remember I got a brand new red sweatshirt and I I wore it to bed. And I woke up and the sheets were pink, just completely pink because I sweat through the sweatshirt and I just stained the white sheets. Um, But it just, that goes to show you my body really didn't know how to handle it. And, um, I didn't know what was happening.
0: So I'm curious, are you having any of the residual symptoms that some people have, Of you know, people are saying, look, this, this may cause some long-term issues for the heart, for the lungs, or are you feeling like you're getting back to normal?
1: I feel like I'm back to normal. I've been tested three times too, by the way now. Um, and I don't, mean to take that in a weird way. They've been studying and trying to help me out and help people out with plasma. I'm not trying to take tests from other people, but I've been working closely with the health department and everybody. Um, first two times I tested positive and then I tested positive for the antibodies with a small trace of the coronavirus left. And then my third one was a complete negative. So now I'm working, um, I'm working with the health department to help find out how I could donate the plasma and the red cross uh, to help people out. But yeah, so I've been tested three times now. Good for you.
0: And when I said earlier that I'm almost glad that you had a, a a challenge, it's that we need more people who are in the public eye to step up and say, look, this is not a joke. I, um, I've been towing that line now for weeks because I feel like I'm right in the middle of the alarmists. And then the people who say that this is nothing worse than the flu And I always tell the people who say it's nothing worse than the flu to just come to the ER in a normal flu season. And you'll see some people with it, but your entire ER isn't people with the flu. And you'll see people who have bad outcomes and it's still very scary. But getting back to why this is so, quite frankly, um, a virus I respect very much when you got infected, you had no—you have no idea how that happened, right? It's not as though you're hanging out around with five people who have
1: obvious symptoms. It, it was yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, so that I think that is one of the scariest parts about this is I could have been carrying it for two weeks. I didn't know that I had it. I didn't know where I got it from, um, and I just didn't—I didn't know much about it. And nobody knows a lot about this yet. That was—that's the other thing I always try to tell people is when they try to compare it to the flu, I was like. We've had how many years now to study the flu and we're still battling with this. How many years, you know, how much time have we had to study this thing? Not a lot. And you can't compare the two because we have medicines, we have anti, like we have vaccines. We don't have that for this yet. Uh, And I'm right there with you too. I'm all about getting back to work. I'm all about returning to normal, whatever that's going to be, but we have to, you can't return to normal if you don't have people that are going to be able to work and provide you know, their best. And you're not going to be at your best if you have coronavirus.
0: Well, that's one of the things I've been telling people in other parts of the country that I actually feel like we had a pretty happy medium here in Nashville and who knows how it's going to evolve, but still being able to support local businesses where they would literally put food at the curbside and not even have human interaction. And, you know, then you could go home and take that food, put it in your own containers, Be, be as smart as possible while still hopefully supporting right uh, local businesses where you're at now. I'm curious what it's like. And then also individually, now that you've been infected, do you, is there a sense of comfort in some ways knowing that you've been in, you've been through this?
1: Yeah, I actually, I was, I forgot who I was talking to about it, but my emotions throughout all of this have had shifted and changed just because I was went from scared to fearful um, to hopeful that I was going to use this for a good thing, and then now i'm a little more um, just relieved that I had it early on and I carry the antibodies so not only can I try to help people um, but i I'm still practicing the social distancing just for. Public, you know, I don't want it to freak anybody out. for not walking around with a mask, and I can still care. I can still bring it in on my body, or if somebody coughs on me, I can still. So I'm very mindful of all of that. Um, but at the same time, there is a little bit of relief now when I go to to the grocery store and I wipe things down. And I, you know, if I miss a spot, I miss a spot. I, I'm, you know, what I mean. Selfishly, I'm okay as long as I go wash my hands. I take care of um, whatever I brought into the house. But right now, I'm actually back in my place in LA. Um, Cass's family is still in Huntington and they're the ones who took care of me while I was down there. So I'm, I'm back to quarantining and isolating myself.
0: Do you know if anyone you had contact with during that stretch? Um, do you have any idea?
1: They all touched the anyone. Negative. So her whole entire family and I, that's great. Carson, Cass and I were kissing while I was symptomatic. Cause I just thought I had the flu and she still didn't get it. Um, they took the antibody test as well. And they never had it um, and still don't have it.
0: It's why it's so fascinating to me, this virus, because why do you get it, for instance, without ever knowingly being exposed to anyone? And why did you have a pretty bad battle with it when there are a lot of folks out there? And we can use other athletes because the NBA is tested and there are a lot of athletes in the NBA who have tested positive. who have zero symptoms. Yep. Now with the antibody testing, we know that there are a lot of people out there who've probably had it, but had little to no symptoms. Right. And it's also remarkable that you had the symptoms you had and you're kissing Cassie and she doesn't get it. And she doesn't get it. So does she have, and this just your mind is blown and I, clearly you're interested in it too. It's like, okay, does she have, is there something to her constitution or her immune system that no. is, you know that makes her less vulnerable? Is there something that you have that made you more vulnerable? Is there, and I think what's, you know, why I'm a little bit worried about relaxing restrictions too soon without proper testing is we don't know. Like I would never think that you would have been someone who would have had such a rough road where you're literally laying in bed worried about your next breath.
1: Yeah. I think that that's the scariest thing is this thing doesn't care. How old you are, who you are—I mean, it's gonna—it's gonna affect people in different ways. I understand that, but do you really want to take the chance? Do you really want to roll the dice on your health and your life? Um, I don't think it's worth it. But at the same time, it's—you know—I'm right there with you. It's like we gotta—we gotta start figuring out how we're gonna move on and move past this thing. Um, But at what cost? Um, Is it gonna be lives that we're talking, or is it gonna be financial burden? You know, we have to. Way the pros and the
0: cons here. Well, I'm curious how much this has affected you. Also, just not personally, but professionally and everything else. Your your new podcast is Coffee with Colton. Maybe we could call it Oxygen with Colton. Right. (laughs) You know, because you you were in Colorado, and I'm. It's interesting because I practiced uh, emergency medicine in the mountains of Colorado for some time, and it's the one place I've ever worked where it's normal for people to be short of breath. (laughs) <laughs> and it's normal to have oxygen bars <laughs> it's yeah. normal to have people on yeah. supplemental oxygen there and you know it's just ironic that you go home and then all of a sudden you're you're dealing with all these issues that that you often do see in the mountains but are you feeling like now that you've you've gone through this are you starting to to get your life back to normal or what you want your new normal to be with i mean obviously your life's been pretty doggone
1: chaotic for the last year or two, yeah.
0: I mean, you're you're in it. I, for me, it was so long ago that I was the bachelor. That yeah, a, you know, I'm just that old guy now.
1: <laughs> no, and it's sort of shifted too. I mean, obviously with social media and everything that's changed, the shows at an all time high. Um, but going back to your point, I used to train in the off seasons. I had a, I still have a house in Colorado, um, and. Uh, training there for the elevation and the purpose of getting my heart rate up and you know increasing my lung capacity, then going and playing in San Diego was the easiest thing. You know when you go back down to sea level. So I used to train there, and, and now to ha- sort of have that resemblance, and then also I run a nonprofit for cystic fibrosis, which is a respiratory disease as well. So I, in a way, felt I was like, man, I feel like one of the CFers right now, where I, I don't have access to all of my lungs. I can sort of feel for them. So that helped put things in perspective as well. Um, but as far as my career, you know, we're just like everybody else in America. We're trying to figure out what's next. I I mean, even like these meetings right now, they feel more personal because I feel like I'm in your office. You're in my living room right now in in the condo. So, um, it, it, we're trying to adapt, uh, coffee with Colton actually resumes this week. So we're super excited to, to be filming. Um, I filmed the first three episodes prior to all the quarantine and now we're playing catch up because um, our schedules and everything shifted, but we have a, we have a cool lineup coming up.
0: Is it video slash podcast where you're, it you're is. on camera as well?
1: Yeah. So we're actually doing a really cool thing. The production company and I have worked out, um, we actually ordered our guests cameras and a tripod and we're shipping them over. So it's not going to just be webcam. It's going to still be a multi-cam podcast and series. For you. Um, so it'll, it'll be a good one where we're really trying, you know, to do things right. This first, uh, this first go around.
0: Well, good good luck with it. I think it's a perfect time to try and utilize what I will call this new normal. And it's it's funny because the same thing for me that's unique is I I don't want to say I'm slow to adopt new technologies, but I don't know I'm kind of old school. <laughs> yeah. So for me, being able to talk to you and do it via Zoom, and I've been doing a bunch of interviews via Zoom and Skype and. I don't hate it mainly because the one nice thing is, you know, I can sit here in my shorts. I can, <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's the thing. I don't <laughs> have to put makeup on to go in front of a camera. It's kind of beautiful.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. <laughs> I, think, I think there's pros, and you can always look at the silver lining too. I mean, now we have time to connect and reconnect with people who we might have been too busy for prior. So um, you got to look at the doors that open too when, when others close.
0: How are you balancing the chaotic year that you probably just went through as The Bachelor and now evolving as Colton, not just Colton The Bachelor? Because I know that's a very, it's a unique transition. Yeah. And I think people go about it differently. And I quite honestly think from what I what I have gathered, a lot of people make... <laughs> it's tough for them to make the transition because you probably know this as well as anyone. When you're the bachelor, it's like, you're the Beatles. You're, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you are, you are the, it's just every, all eyeballs are on you and then all of a sudden that stops and you for a while you're, I'm sure your passion was, it's all about playing football. How, you know, how are you mentally sort of going through this transition of, what's next. And I know you wrote your book, you've got coffee with Colton, like mentally, how are you working through those reps as you sort of transition into your future?
1: Yeah. So I went through a rough patch, uh, leaving football too, with the same mindset of like having that, that be my identity for 17 years of playing football. And then now these last few, I bet having to battle the bachelor and I didn't, I understood I was giving up control of my life. I understood that with reality TV, um, you you'd sort of give that away. But I think writing the book for me um, was a good way to feel like I had control of my life again. I felt like I let it get out of control. I let other people tell my story. I let other people control the narrative, whether it was in the media or on TV. And uh, I didn't know how it was going to affect me mentally. And it was messing with me. But this book has helped me just sort of recover from that in a way of feeling like I, I have control of my life. Like I'm taking ownership in things that I might have run or wanted to contradict. And um, I feel like it's overall been so emotional, so therapeutic, and so uh, healthy for me to do.
0: Huge shout out! You've gone through that transition quicker, I think, than most. Honestly, i yeah. i didn't watch I didn't watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette again until I started watching it with my wife because she loves it, and of course, it's yeah. kind of a fun thing to do with your spouse. Yeah, but it is. I think you know, I, and I, I think I read that you used the four letters that stay within the. The health realm, which is even PTSD at times. Yeah, can you talk about that? Because for people who've never been a part of, I'll call it the franchise. And again, this isn't just the Bachelor. This is everything in life. If you're a football player and you play for the San Diego Chargers, you are a San Diego Charger. That is your organization. That's who you are. If you, um, you know, if you're the Bachelor, you're part of that franchise. And yep. it's, yeah, it's not always easy to come out the other side. And as you mentioned, there are all these external pressures. Tell me a little bit about, you know, when you say things like have some PTSD from it, what, like what parts have you struggled with the most that maybe gave you that feeling where you had night sweats with the coronavirus, but I'm sure you had yeah. night sweats too, after going through all this experience on The Bachelor.
1: Yeah. Um well, I think for me, it's it's appropriate first to to fill people in. I actually battled some pretty bad social anxiety right off the show. While the show was airing, even when I was out in public and having everybody know everything about me and trying to be in a conversation and they're asking and grilling me questions and I can't even get a word out. You know, I'm I'm just always put on the spot or having to answer a follow up question or being told who I was. Um, that was hard for me. I didn't know how to balance it, and I actually like locked myself away other than media interviews and events that i was committed to already that's all i did um and then at the same time i'm trying to balance this new relationship that i have while trying to still earn the respect and trust of her family um it was a lot uh it was definitely a time that i look back and say wow that was challenging but i'm glad it's over um and then now i think just watching it just sort of being able to be on that side and know what goes on. And I've seen bits and clips because I'm on social media and I get tagged and things. I immediately put myself in their position. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want that again. Like, you know what I mean? I, the show was great. I don't want to be in that position again just because of everything that comes along with it. And I think I realize that. So part of me is just, you know, PTSD. And then I talk about in the book too, my go-to is avoidance. You know, if, if there's something in my life that I know is not good for me, I think it's an athlete in me, I avoid it. Um, I don't want to deal with it. I'm not going to put myself in a position to fail. So for me, I just will take myself out of it because if I started watching the show again, who knows, I might tweet something that is incredibly rude or mean, And and it's just a downhill spiral. And I don't want to put myself in a position to fail.
0: You'll, you'll appreciate this. Guess where I moved after I was the bachelor. Where? Breckenridge, Colorado.
1: (laughs) Oh, dude, I (laughs) mad props to you. I did the exact opposite. And now I'm in LA part time, so... (laughs) I don't know how it's going to work out, but I sort of have to be here for, for the, uh, for the career and the
0: entertainment. Hey, here's the reality. I moved to Breckenridge, Colorado and was out there for a few years doing exactly. It sounds like what you did more rapidly than me. And yeah. then, yeah. And then two years later I started hosting the doctors. So I, so yep. <laughs> I've spent plenty of nights in LA. So I, oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I completely respect the, and, and one of the things I've learned sounds like you're a big fan of, of Colorado and the mountains too. What I've learned over the years is you may sometimes have to leave the mountains, but the mountains will still be there.
1: 100%.
0: Where's your place in Colorado?
1: Uh, it's in Parker. So, Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So right there. Yep. Yep.
0: So my parents still live in, they live in Littleton, right? Where, you know, where oh, my mom came?
1: lives in Littleton. Really? Right near Red Rocks. Yeah. She's off Bellevue. Um,
0: so yeah, so my folks are right there near that Lockheed Martin plant where the Waterson Canyon comes out. Same area. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's crazy.
0: Well, yeah, it's you know that that's the one thing that I will tell you. At, no matter what happens in your life and career, yeah, one of the most therapeutic things for me over the last, I mean, it's been much longer for me because I first went on TV. Gosh, I was The Bachelor. Was it fourteen years ago? Again, okay. I age
1: what season was that? I was
0: season eight season eight. Okay. And that was the first one where they did it abroad. So I did the whole thing in Paris, France. Nice. And, but much like you, I came back from that and I was working in the ER and then the first night it aired, you know, the next day and the ER people are coming. Oh my God, that's him. And right, same thing as you though, you, you engage in social avoidance, but back to like fast forward, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned as you know now having been on tv for a fair number of years i'm telling you colorado is still so therapeutic for me oh yeah when you go out there and it's you know whether it's the summer and the the streams are rolling or winter and you got the snow man yep. it's it's something something I'm special i to figure
1: out how to get back there right now i mean obviously i have two two weeks left of production for coffee with colton um and then i might drive out just cuz i think that's the safest way right now for social distancing is just a solo car trip, um, back to, back to Colorado for a few weeks prior to whatever, whenever LA is going to reopen.
0: That drive too is epic.
1: Oh, it's, it's awesome.
0: I mean, when you start getting through those canyons, that's on, I'm almost jealous of you because I can't true story. Literally right now, as we speak, my wife just left to go to her OB appointment. So we've got a a little boy due here in less than two months, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. But, but I was planning. So she had pretty much given me, I'll call it a free pass. And it was supposed to be end of April, early May. I was going to go out to Colorado and just go camp and kayak and mountain bike. So the problem is Colton, it's kind of hard to convince your wife who may have your baby any day that you're going to drive 20 hours.
1: Yeah, that's not winnable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> I if I'm you, 100%, once you get through the next few weeks, of, pr- dude, hop in yeah. that car and send me a picture because I will be there with you in spirit.
1: Got it. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> well, and and I I want to ask you this also because clearly you have a love for for the mountains and the outdoors and yeah. Where we also are somewhat similar is we both grew up in the Midwest. So how I have to ask you this because you you know it's something I'm sure that's sort of defined who you are. But when you grow up in Washington, Illinois, and grow up in the heart of the Midwest, like how has that defined you in whether good or bad?
1: Yeah, I think it actually has helped quite a bit. I mean, my, a lot of my family still lives there. Um, it's kept me grounded for sure. I mean, I grew up and my entertainment was playing hide and hide and go seek in corn in the cornfields and riding my ATVs to my grandma and grandpa's house right down the road and going fishing. I mean, that was my entertainment and now I'm like looking around and I'm in LA. I don't know how exactly I got out here, but I'm out here now and, um, I still have friends and family back there. And I think it, it just helps keep everything and put everything in perspective for me. Um, And I think it's, it's definitely, definitely helped.
0: But you're pretty open in your book about some of the, I'll call them the evolutions of life, you know, as you go through in your own head, trying to figure out who you are, your purpose. I mean, you, you even mentioned self-identity questions of sexual orientation, all of these questions, um, which quite frankly, I don't know how Illinois is, but I, I grew up Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Sometimes asking these questions about self-identity are not exactly, um, ah, they're not always encouraged. It's, it's more yeah. so, you, you know, you just, this is the way you are. Yep. So I'm curious, um, or can you kind of walk me through that evolution for you where you, you start asking these really big questions about life and your purpose yeah. and who you are?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up in the church. I went to to Catholic grade school, uniforms, the whole nine yards. And um, I did that until about sixth grade. And I, of course, I feel like everybody to a certain degree deals with bullying. And for me, it was simple name calling. It was not an extreme. I was not getting beat up. I was not doing that. But emotionally, it sort of taught me <clears throat> just keep my emotions to myself. I don't want to show that I'm weak. And then that sort of parlayed into my football career, where as an athlete, you don't let your opponents see when they're getting you. So I was always taught to internalize all of my struggles and all of my thoughts. And I, I've now learned that that's not healthy. But one of those struggles for me was obviously my sexual identity, You know, where what do I believe in? What do I fit? Who am I? Who do I like? Um, and I didn't have an experience. Um, I mean, obviously, I had the girlfriend here and there, but I never wanted to take it further just because of my faith and my background. Um, of wanting to save that for marriage and being told that's what you do um, as a Christian. Um, So I always reserved, was reserved in that way. And then I focused so much on football. I I wanted to avoid the relationship space because I didn't have time for it. I was going to focus on football. And at that same time I was dealing with, you know, who, who am I? I mean, I I went as far as in my book opening up about um, my dad catching me Googling if I was gay or not, you know, porn links, um, the whole nine whole nine yards. I think it was important for me to mention that just because if I would have known one or two people at the time were struggling from the same things I was as far as like wondering why I don't want to have sex with my girlfriend in high school and everybody's making fun of me for that choice, um, I would have felt more relieved. I would have felt more comfort. I wouldn't have been as anxious, as nervous and um, internalized those struggles. So hopefully it's helped one or two people out there that's read it. Um, and I also want to say this too, is like, even if I came to the conclusion that I was gay, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I feel like people are going to be struggling through that for the for however many years now. And um, the more we can be open and open-minded to it and okay with it, I think the better for society.
0: And it'd be hard to look at you without you opening up about this stuff and think, wow, Colton would have a lot of problems with I don't want to use the word self-esteem, but where you're struggling because you're obviously sort of the picture of Midwestern, you know, my family comes from Nebraska, Iowa, like yeah. corn fed, big, strong, tight end athlete. Yep. No one, no one would ever look at you and think, wow, Colton went through some tough times as a kid growing up in yeah, the cornfields I still of Washington, Illinois. Period.
1: I still battle insecurities to this day, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, every you'd be lying to yourself if if you if you say you don't have an insecurity here or there. Um, and for me, I still I still have them. I, I openly admit that I still battle. I still fight demons every day.
0: What well, also is what allows you to remain humble? If you don't have any insecurities, then you know if I've learned anything in life, I don't know if you feel the same way but the most ignorant people I've ever met in my life have no insecurities. They genuinely think that they know everything. And I personally think they know nothing, but they're pretty secure in themselves. So I actually, my wife and I get in arguments about this all the time. And uh, I'll say, look, so-and-so they sleep like a baby every night, Paris. They, I genuinely Paris do not believe that they have any, insecurities i think that they they just sleep like babies and think that everything they do is perfect but they're also you know some of the most narcissistic people i've ever
1: encountered yeah that's typically how it tends up ends up being how
0: how is it now for you coming from illinois again i know the midwest well and in the Midwest you feel so far removed from places like Hollywood and New York City growing up. I know you're a little closer to because I lived in Chesterfield, Missouri for um junior high, high school and you know that's pretty close to St. Louis. You're you're closer to Chicago, right?
1: Where you yeah, well, always? it's about 3 hours. So we're in the middle. So it's Chicago's here, St. Louis is here. We're about right in the middle. So 3 hours both ways.
0: Cardinals or Cubs? Uh Sox. There you White- go. All I'll right.
1: Say- I stay neutral in that rivalry,
0: <laughs> but I'm curious how it is for you now that you are a household name. And you think back to Washington, Illinois, and your friends who are still there. You mentioned family how How do they react to you now? How do they how do they they a treat you? But also, I'm sure for some of your friends, kind of wrapping your head around what the hell how, like Colton is. Yeah. Everywhere I turn, I, I see Colton.
1: Yeah, um, well, I still have the same group of friends. I still have my two best friends from high school. I still have my college roommates, and they're still the same. They rag me. They treat me the same. We play video games together every once in a while. We're still in the same text group. But I think that's, that's the Midwestern in them, right? I mean, um, they were the first ones to poke fun of me becoming The Bachelor. They had no clue what, what it was, but they were going to watch, they were going to support, and they were going to make fun of me every single Monday. And it, uh, it it never <laughs> let up. I love that about them, um, as as well as a lot of my college teammates and and even some of my high school football teammates. They all made sure to remind me when I was making mistakes or when I was being goofy.
0: Yeah, it reminds me my my best friend in Nashville, who's he's the reason I went on The Bachelor. He was the one who yeah, like with long story how I ended up The Bachelor. But I was in such a an inward focusing place, and we ironically were going out to Colorado. This is at, shortly after I was the bachelor. And i of course got my hat down low, trying to lay low. We get on the the bus to go to the car rental. And of course we're traveling together and he stops, looks around and goes, Oh my gosh, are you the bachelor? Are you Tra- <laughs> Travis Stork? Oh my God. My point is that those friends, to the this, like, those are your best friends
1: for life. A hundred percent. I, yeah. My buddy does the same thing. He he would he would start asking people if they wanted a picture with me out in public. And I'm like, dude, for real. But you know what? Now that you take a step back, you're like, I actually appreciate him for doing that because he's always treated me the same way. He's never, he's never changed. My relationship with him has never changed. And all my friends and all my family are the same exact way.
0: What's it been like for your relationship with Cassie, for you to get to know her real life friends and vice versa? Combined with the reality that you are a couple that people know as a couple, which I think right. does present unique challenges. Yeah. Because again, people are going to always try to define you based on what they saw of your yeah. relationship on TV. But how, like, how, A, how is the dynamic given that you two are known as a couple, but then also parsing through now that you've probably met her close lifelong friends and, and she's met yours?
1: Yeah. um, It's been a challenge. I'm not going to lie. Keep it very real. It hasn't always been easy. I think um, trying to find your own identity outside of the Bachelor world, outside of just Colton and Cassie, because every single, you know, every single thing we do together, it's Colton and Cassie, Colton and Cassie. There's not a Cassie Randolph. There's not a Colton Underwood without us being together. Um, People wanted to like understand what our relationship was like. And we didn't want to give that to them just because we were still trying to figure it out. Um, and we had a unique ending obviously to, to my season. Um, but we're still, I'll I'll still say this, we're still figuring it out. We're still day by day. We're still trying to build that trust in one another and we'll see where it goes. Well, if
0: I've learned any lessons in life, it's that, that journey continues forever. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's who, no, no matter who you end up with in life and, you know, whoever you end up even marrying and you go through all of life's transitions, it's it's just a constant evolution. And doing yeah. it, though, mad props to you, doing that in the public eye, I, I give you guys a lot of credit. And I think it's a testament to, without knowing any of the inner workings of your relationship, yeah. I really respect it. Because it means, and anyone who hasn't been a part of this would not realize it, it means That your connection is actually even stronger than if it hadn't been built in front of the public eye. Because if you didn't care about each other, you just cut and run, and it would be Colton and Cassie, not Colton and Cassie. And that would be the easy thing to do. So I credit you two for that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So before I let you go, and and I'm I'm stoked that we got the chance to talk. And I'm actually really proud of you for trying to bring awareness to this pandemic we're in because we all need to figure out where the right balance is of reopening the economy, taking this seriously. I do think there are some good data out there and I'm not going to deny the good data that says, look, the mortality rate may not be as high as we thought when it comes to um, overall mortality from people who got infected. We just don't know because we don't have the tests yet, but we need those tests. But I just want to give you the sort of the floor, if you will, because as a doctor, I can sit here and spout off all the stats. I can talk about my ER experiences. I can talk about how scary it is when you see someone who's struggling to breathe in the ER and how, I mean, there's, to me, there's nothing more scary as an ER doctor than when I walk into a patient's room and you can tell that they are struggling to breathe and you're trying to go through in your mind, you're like, all right, am I going to have to intubate this patient? What, what is the cause of this? Is this our heart? Is it their lungs? Is it a blood clot? Is it pneumonia? Is it fluid in their lungs? It's, you, but it's hard to get people to understand when they need to take things seriously if they've never experienced that. So I'm, I'm giving you the floor um, maybe for anyone out there who's like, ah, this is just, it's just no big deal.
1: Um. Well, I mean, obviously I'm not a medical professional or, or a doctor by any means, but I am somebody who's recovered from this and I am, I'm, I'm not blind to it. I see what's on the news. I see what's in the social media. I've been on the phone with mothers who have either their son in the ICU or um, their sister uh, in the ICU on feeding tubes. I've heard them cry. I've heard them beg me for my plasma and my blood when I still wasn't approved from the Red Cross to give it, um, even though we were a blood match. and. Um, I think that's been the hardest and most eye-opening for me is realizing, like, there are people that are on their deathbed right now, um, fighting this thing, and we have other people that want to um, party on the beaches. And I think it's it's always important to keep that in perspective. Um, it's all about balance. I do agree with that. I do think that we need to follow the right steps and listen to the right people. And um, I don't care where you are or where you fall politically, left or right. There is no left and right for this for this virus. I think that um, we just need to be good leader or good followers to our leaders right now and trust them. I know they're not going to always make the best decisions, but you have to be willing to support um, them. And I think that's just our role right now is just listening to our doctors, listening to our healthcare providers and our leaders and be the best follower that you can and show love and compassion and grace to people.
0: Well, I, I am really appreciative of the time, but also proud and thankful that you're making an effort to educate also to potentially help others out with the antibodies that i know you've you've uh, been lucky enough to develop um wish you nothing but success in all your endeavors and and uh you know stay true to yourself i'm really excited about you and your future and and uh be well and good luck with
1: everything well i'm gonna pray for your wife and you have a healthy baby boy and maybe we'll go camping one day
0: that sounds great thank you guys see ya i hope you enjoyed listening do not forget to subscribe and download and tell your friends i would love to build this community and continue to be all about authenticity optimism and hope uh looking forward to the next podcast we'll see you soon The Travis Stork Show podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.